You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. And if you have your Bibles, go to Ruth chapter 4. We're actually going to skip the introduction and we're going to jump right into the text because here is what I want to do. I want to leave two full songs at the end of this service for you to have time to respond to, which means I've got to be short and sweet. Some of you are like, that sounds good. And then we're going to have plenty of time for you to just sit under the word and respond. So here's what we're going to find out in chapter four. I'm going to give you the spoiler. Boaz is going to be an able and willing redeemer of Ruth. Now, some of you are like, Ruth, who is she? We're going to get to that because you're actually at the end of a story that we've been telling the last three weeks, but you're going to catch up as we walk through. But here's what I want you to see, big picture. Jesus Christ is an able and willing redeemer for you. He is able because he became a man so that he could live the life you couldn't and die the death you deserve. But he's not only able, he is actually willing. He wants to redeem you this morning. So that's where we're going. Jesus is your able and willing redeemer. That'll make more sense as we walk through our text. So if you would join me in Ruth chapter 4, go ahead and just go there. And I want to read a verse from the New Testament just to keep in your mind as we walk through this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, in him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So that verse says that Jesus is your redeemer. He redeemed you. He bought you with his blood. And the problem was your trespasses, your sins. And some of you are in those this morning. You have a debt that you can't pay. And I want you to hear about a redeemer who is able and willing to pay your debt to bring you back to God. That is the best news on the planet. So we're going to see this lived out vividly through a man named Boaz. So if you're at chapter 4, I need to just do quick catch-up. If you're like, who's Ruth? And why are we talking about a girl named Ruth in church? Well, Ruth is a book in the Bible. So if, if you found that, if not, the words are on the screen. But Ruth is not from Israel. She's from Moab. And she got to Israel because there was a couple, Naomi and Elimelech, and they moved to Moab to find bread because there was a famine in Bethlehem. They had two sons. Their two sons married Moabite women, hence that's Ruth. So Ruth is a daughter-in-law of Naomi. A lot of bad things happen in chapter 1. The husband dies and the two sons die. So now Naomi and Ruth are both widows. They come back to Bethlehem hoping to find bread. But what they really need, even more than just bread, they need a redeemer. So they are on the search for a redeemer. Last week in chapter 3, we saw Ruth, who was told by Naomi to go and propose to Boaz. She proposed to Boaz. And now Boaz has a few things to work out before he's going to marry this girl. So that's the first three seasons of The Bachelor, in case you missed it. Now you're caught up. Now we're here. Boaz, he's The Bachelor. He's pursuing his wife, who is Ruth. And now we're ready for the story. And what we find is a man who won't rest. Now, if you remember from last week, 
He's not resting until he has worked everything out to marry this girl. And here's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So a lot of sitting down in the beginning. But here's what's happening. They're going to this gate. Now, why are they at the gate? Well, that's where commerce happened. That's where legal transactions were made during this time. So it's as if today we went to the courthouse with papers and we're going before a judge to rule over something, to legally transact something. And so Boaz goes, he sits at the gate, and he's looking for a redeemer. Now, some of your Bibles, if you have an NIV, says kinsman redeemer, because a kinsman redeemer is someone who's a family member. He's looking for a family member to help this process of redemption, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. So he's looking for a certain man in this huge town, and it just so happens the guy comes by. And he's like, oh, hey, dude, I've been looking for you. How about you come sit down? So again, we find the sovereignty of God playing in the background of this whole story. Nothing is happening, happening by coincidence. It's all by providence. And guess what? The same is true for you. There, God is working in the background of your story in ways you can't even imagine. So Boaz, he sits down. He's got 10 elders. He has the Redeemer. And now Boaz is going to talk to the Redeemer about a potential of redeeming some land. He's going to go to the guy about a piece of land. So here's what we see in verse 3. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. So let's make a legal transaction. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not... Tell me that I might know, for there is one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So we've got to talk about a few things because we're like thousands of years away from this story. So some of the things in our mind are like, why is there land? Why do they have to redeem? What's going on? So first let's think about just redemption as a broad category because redemption or to buy or to purchase is spoken 15 times in this chapter. So redemption, it is the forefront of this part of the story. And to redeem something, well, you kind of know because you probably have a gift card, right? Somebody's going to get you a gift card for Christmas. And you're going to have to do what? Redeem that gift card. So it has something to do with buying something like we are familiar with redeeming something. I got an email last night about some points I need to redeem. It's like, well, okay, redeem, I need to buy something, right? So redemption has to do with buying. If you think about it in the biblical context, this idea of redemption, it's buying something back that you previously owned. So, so this redemption, you own something, you lost it. And now you're going to have to buy it back. So that's what is being asked of this guy, this relative, this cousin. They're saying, hey, can you buy this piece of land that belongs to Naomi? So that's what redemption is about. It's about buying something, which by the way, I'll just go ahead and spoil it a little bit. That's what Jesus does for us. 
Jesus buys us back, not with gold or silver. He buys us back with his own blood. Like, that's where we're going. Jesus is your able and willing redeemer, and he buys you from your sin and from your death. He buys you with his blood to reconnect you with God. That's what Jesus does. So hear this story about Boaz and Ruth. It's ultimately a story about you and the Lord Jesus. So see it and feel it. So the next question we have to ask, if we know what redemption is, it's about buying things, and there's somebody that needs to buy a piece of lamb. The next question is, well, um, why exactly does Naomi need this land redeemed? Why does the land need to be bought? Now, there's a couple of options. We're not told in the scripture why exactly it needs to be bought back. So perhaps, number one, she owns the land. She has it. It belonged to her husband. Now she has a lot of land, but she's hungry. And she doesn't have cash. She doesn't have anything to like go to Dollar General with. So she's got a lot of land, but she's hungry. And when it comes to land versus food, you want food more than land. Like if you have a relative that dies and leaves you a big fancy mansion, but you're too poor to eat, you're not going to keep the mansion. You're going to do what? You're going to sell it to get money so you can eat. Because at the end of the day, food and water are really the most important if you are dying. So here, Naomi, she's a widow. She's probably hungry, doesn't have any cash reserve, doesn't have any money. So perhaps she owns the land, but she needs somebody to buy it from her so she'll have some cash to actually live out her life. But she can't have anybody buy it. She needs someone in the family to buy it because the land needs to stay in the family. That's the first option. I think it's more likely the second option, and it's this, that Elimelech, her husband, when the famine happened, he's hungry, kids are hungry, wife's hungry. I think he sold the family farm in order to get some money to go to Moab to try to make a new life. And so now Naomi comes back and she knows the family farm belongs to somebody else. And what she desperately needs is the family farm back so that she can have some revenue and that she can survive. And the reason I think that is because in Leviticus, there is a provision for selling the family farm and then also getting it back. Here's what it says in verse 13 of, of chapter 25. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So there's a provision, if you are broke and you need to sell the family farm for some money, there's a provision that somebody in your family can go and buy that land back so the land stays in the family. Now, why is the land such a big deal? I mean, some of you guys have moved like seven houses in the last three years. You're like, I don't even care. Like, it's just a house. It's just a front door. It's a yard. I'm going to move somewhere else. I come in, I come out. Some of you live on like a family farm that's been generations, and you're like, I, I, I'm going to die here. So some of us have different relationships with land, but I want us to think through land as an Israelite for a moment. The Israelites, land wasn't just where they stood. It was who they were. Like this is part of the promised land given to them through Joshua by God. So they are in the tribe of Judah. Judah had a certain arrangement of land and Elimelech had a parcel of that land that belonged to Judah. This is who they were. This is part of their very bones. And yet now it's sold to someone outside the family and it needs to be back in the family because that land is their past, present, and also their future. And it's out of the family right now. So land is important. 
So we need to think about land like an Israelite or maybe even like a Native American. I went to the reservations just last week. You probably saw the video. And one of the things about going to Arizona and walking on those reservations and meeting the Native Americans, I love talking with those people. They're such amazing people. And, but walking on the reservations, what I remember the first time I went, I'm on the T.O. Nation or the Gila River, and it's just this beautiful land. There used to be rivers that, flew, that flowed through it, but now they've been dammed up. So the land in some way is barren. You have these villages that they've sort of dried up and they're, they're hard to, to make it and survive, and some of them won't even have running water. Some of them are using outhouses, and, and 10 miles up the road, there's Casa Grande or different places that there's like civilization, opportunity, and you could, you could just go there and, and get a job and sort of better yourself, at least in my mind, but then you talk to the people. Well, this isn't just a village. This isn't just land. They're they're a native from the T.O. nation. This is who they are. This was their, their grandparents and their great-grandparents, and it goes back thousands of years, so they can't just move. They can't just get off. This is who we are. So see, land is, is different if you go and talk to a Native American living on a reservation. Land is different if you talk to an Israelite who's standing on their plot. So this land is a big deal. That's why they're all trying to find a redeemer, somebody in the family who will buy this land so that Naomi can have some cash, so Naomi and Ruth can survive, but that the land will still be in the family. That's why it had to be a kinsman, had to be someone from Judah, a close of kin, so the land won't belong to an outsider, but belong to the family. So for someone to redeem the land, there's got to be two requirements. In other words, they have to be able, and here's the requirements. They have to be a kinfolk, have to be of Judah, They have to be of the clan of Elimelech. They have to be in in this tribe. But then also, they have to have the money to buy the land. Like, if you need some money, you don't go to your broke cousin. He's like, I don't have a car either, dude. Like, I ain't got nothing. You go to your rich uncle, right? You're like, hey, unk, um, can I get one of your cars, right? You got to pick the right person. So not only, so you need to be able, so it's got to be somebody connected to the family, but also has enough wealth to purchase the land. They found somebody, they found this person, and so now we're going to see, does this person actually get the land? And he says, I will redeem it. So he's able and he's willing. Yes, give me the land, I'll buy it, I'll bring it into To my inheritance, I'll bring it in. We'll keep it in the family. I will redeem it. And I can just imagine at that moment, Boaz's heart probably sunk a little bit. Because he doesn't want him buying the land because the land is attached to a girl, as we're going to find out in a minute. And we have a lot of guys done a lot of crazy things for a girl, right? Like most of our stories are crazy things we've done for a girl. This is Boaz. He's going to do crazy things for a girl. And so his heart sinks. Because the guy is willing and able to redeem the land. He's going to buy it, and therefore he's going to have Ruth attached to it. This, this marriage that he's longing for, it's all but over. So then Boaz enters Ruth into the story. Notice what it says in verse 5. Now it's about redeeming Ruth. We got redeeming the land? Great. I love it. Now we're going to talk about redeeming Ruth. Here's what it says in verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. 
Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So now all of a sudden, Ruth is put in the picture. So he wants to redeem the land. He's going to buy it. He's going to bring it into his, um, as an asset on his um, banking account. He's like, okay, I want to get that. But there's a girl attached to it. And if you buy the land, then you have to also have Ruth as your wife because Ruth is a widow and her husband doesn't have any sons. So she doesn't have a son. So the husband of Ruth and the granddad of Ruth, the line has been cut off. Like the family tree of Judah, there's a branch that's been cut off unless there's a baby born to Ruth. So if you buy this lamb, then you also have the duty of marrying Ruth and giving her a child to continue the line of Elimelech and Malon. And so now the guy finds out about, there's more to the story. And so all of a sudden, he is unwilling. So he's able, got the money, got the means, he's the right person, he's in line. He's able, but all of a sudden, he's not willing. Now, this whole thing about perpetuating the line, it might seem a little strange to us, but there's provision because, again, an Israelite, like names and families and land are very important. There's the tribes of Judah, and those need to stay preserved. So in Deuteronomy 25, what we find is this in verse 6. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no sons, the wife of the dead man shall, be married, shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a brother's husband." And the first son whom she bears shall succeed the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So there's a provision. Remember, land's important. Also, family is important. So if Ruth doesn't bear a child, if Naomi doesn't bear a child, then Elimelech's name is cut off of Judah. So there's a provision. If somehow a widow is here and the widow doesn't have a son there is a provision for the nearest kin or the brother to marry her to have a son from her so that her dead husband's name can carry on that's the provision here and that's what the redeemer must do so that Elimelech's name will carry on and not be blotted out now I know that seems a little strange to us we're pretty removed from that this was a provision because land's a big deal and family's a big deal in this time of Israel's history and it's sort of weird to us cuz we're even like man what's the big deal with like kids in general like i mean cuz to Naomi and Ruth a child means everything it means their future it means their security and we live in a culture where it is actually really neat to not have kids in fact, I'm told, I was listening to a podcast, I don't have TikTok, but apparently there are dinks on TikTok. Now, dink means dual income, no kids. And so dinks, dual income, no kids, are going on TikTok and making videos saying how great it is to be a dink. Because if you have dual income and no kids, you can literally do anything you want. Like even me, I sort of daydream like, oh, what would that be like? You know? Like, you can just, like, get up tomorrow and be like, I don't know, let's fly somewhere. Sure. Like, whatever. Like, we can do whatever we want. Because you have plenty of money, plenty of means. You're not wiping diapers. You're not coming to hear these kids sing. Like, it's like, you can do whatever you want. Like, I can just go and enjoy and just live my life. I'm not, you know, like, I only clean up my throat, not somebody else's. 
So they're making these TikTok videos of like, life is better without kids. The dream life is to not have kids. You can do whatever you want. That is foreign to Naomi and Ruth. That's foreign to this culture. They could not even imagine someone not wanting kids because kids meant future. Kids meant inheritance. And in fact, even though we live like that, we sort of know because John Stone Street on the podcast said, you know, I wonder what those TikTok videos will look like when those dinks are 80. And all of a sudden, they've got everything, but no one to come visit. No, no one to be around, no, no legacy, no, no coming forth from that. So even though we would say, man, it'd be like the dream, it's not, maybe not really the dream. And it's certainly not Naomi and Ruth's dream. They need a child to carry on the name. So the question is, will this guy be a willing and able redeemer of the land and Ruth? And when it comes to Ruth, he says no. He doesn't want to impair his inheritance. He doesn't want to impair his name. He's like, look, I already got enough kids to buy Christmas presents for. Like, no. Not add another family. Like, no, just keep her. I'm going to stay with mine. Like, I, I can't, you know, I'm just not going to go there. And it is interesting that here's a guy who doesn't want to impair his inheritance, his name, his legacy. And you know what his name is? We don't know. He's just called the Redeemer. It's like, here's a guy that wanted to protect his name so much that guess what? He's completely forgotten in history. We don't even know his name. Like the writer intentionally, I think, left it out. Like, hey, way to go, guy. Guess what? Uh, you imparted your inheritance. You didn't make the right move. You should have went with Ruth. So sometimes protecting our lives and protecting our name and doing everything we can actually means we get forgotten because we miss what God has for us. But here we see this redeemer that says no. And then we're going to see this sort of removal of a sandal, which sounds weird to us. It was also kind of weird to them. And it explains this. Here's what it says in verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. So both the guys who had sandals on. Whenever the redeemer decided, I don't want to redeem this, I want you to, he took off his sandal and he handed his sandal to the guy. And all the readers have been like, why did he do that? I'm going to explain it. This is how they used to do things. Not today. It's like for us, we're like shaking on it. Like, all right, shake on it, put it in writing. Let's, let's stamp the contract. It is in stone. That's what's happening here. So now there is a new redeemer. And what we're going to see is Boaz. He's different than the unnamed redeemer. He is both able and he's willing. Notice what it says in verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people. He's like, come around, everybody. I've got something to announce. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Now when it says bought to be my wife, I don't think he's cutting a separate check for her because when you acquired the land, you got Ruth. So in the deal, in buying the land, he has also got Ruth. So it's not buying a bride. She is with this in this deal. I've bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So here we see Boaz, 
a man who is able to redeem. He's a close kin. He's got money. He's got resources. He's able to pay the price. He's just like the other guy. He is able to redeem. The difference is he's not just able. He's also willing. He also wants to. Because if we peel back the story, we know how the story's been going, right? He likes this girl. He loves this girl. This is a sweet deal. He doesn't care about the land. The land is the liability. Ruth is his asset. Ruth is the one that he's going for. He just gets the land with her. He is going all in because he wants her to be his wife. He is in love with a girl. He is able and he is willing to redeem her. So what does it have to do with us? I think the reason the story is in Scripture is to show us this interaction of redemption between Boaz and Ruth. Because we are supposed to feel ourselves as Naomi and Ruth. And we are supposed to see Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. That he is the one that comes that he is the one who loves us, that he is the one who is able and also willing to redeem us. Both those things. See, Jesus has to be able, and he also has to be willing to redeem us. And what I want you to feel is that Jesus is both those things. He has the right to redeem you. He's went through the legal requirements to redeem you. He can write the check that can more than cover your debt And he's not just able, he's also willing. He wants to because he loves you. And I know some of you are saying, I don't know about that. Like I see the the people around me, like maybe them, but, but not me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know where I come from. That that's why this story is about a Moabite who's not in the people of God. It's about people who have fled the presence of God and have run into a far country and went after other gods. And it is your story. You are one who went into a far country away from God. See, the truth is that these, they're widows from Moab. You're not a widow from Moab. You are a sinner who's ran away from God. See, you're just like them, desperately needy. For someone to buy you back. Desperately needy for someone to redeem you. Like they did redemption. Like, like all of a sudden you had, you had grandma's ring and you need a little money. So you took it to a pawn shop and you got some cash and you spent the cash. And now what you want is not the cash. What you want is the ring, but the ring is in somebody else's hands. It belongs to you, but you don't have rights to it. And somebody comes along and says, hey, I'll pay the price for that ring and they give it back to you. Like that's that beautiful picture of of redemption. That's what Christ does for you. That you have ran, sold yourself into sin and slavery. And now you are living in that and you can't get out of that. And you can't buy yourself out of that. And Jesus comes and says, I will pay your price in full. With my death, you can go free. That's what Jesus does. Our able and willing redeemer. So here's what I want to show you. I want to show you, number one, that Jesus is able to redeem us. So remember in the story, not anybody can be a redeemer. It's like if you want to be the king of England, you can't like just sign up and be like, uh, how do we do this? Do we like vote? Is there like, do I run a campaign? Like, how do I do this? Oh, uh, you don't. What do you mean I don't? 
yeah, your son's not, your dad's not the king, so you can't be the king. But I want to be, sorry. There's rules, regulations, you can't be the king or queen because guess what? Your dad's not the king and your mom's not the queen. It's not going to happen for you. It's like in the law. You can't do it. Sorry, kids, you can't do whatever you want to be when you grow up. It's just reality. So the question is, okay, a redeemer in this story has to be someone that's nearest of kin. They have to be part of the family, part of Judah. They have to be one of the family members to actually redeem. So there's laws about it. Well, how does Jesus redeem us? Well, here's how Jesus redeems you. Because he becomes like you. Here's a big point this morning. That Jesus Christ, in order to redeem you, he became like you. That's what Christmas is about. God becomes a man. The little baby is Emmanuel God with us. Fully God, fully man. Jesus becomes like you so that you can become like him. That's the story of Christmas. He is your kinsman redeemer. Notice, I love Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here we see that Jesus, who is fully God, didn't hold on to his prerogative of being God, didn't stay in heaven, but instead he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He became like you and me. He became us. He became a man. He became our nexus of kin so that he could be like us, so that he could pay our penalty. Because here's the penalty, the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty over all of us. So if you haven't sinned, just tune out of this next part. Like, you're good. If you have sinned, you might want to listen. Because if you sinned, then you have to pay something. You have earned something, and the wage of that is death. That's the debt hanging over your head. You will die, and if you're in your sins, you will die for eternity. So your debt is, you, you're going to die. So How do we have that paid? Well, somebody has to die for you and has to be a next of kin. It has to be someone who's like you. That's what Jesus did. He became like you so that he could die for you, so that he could redeem you and bring you back in. But he's not only like you, he is also unlike you in that he never sinned. He's perfect. He's sinless. He always did what's right when you always did what was wrong. That's what makes him different. That's what makes him, when he went to the cross, he wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for yours and mine. He was our perfect sacrifice. So notice, number one, he's able. Because he became a man, God became a man so that he could be able to redeem you. He could be a next of kin to you to redeem you. But he's also able because he's a sinless savior. But he's not just able, he's also willing. Like he wants to, he longs to, he doesn't just... He he not only can, but he wants to. Like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. God, Jesus loves you. He gave himself for you as an act of love to redeem you. He was more than willing to redeem you. So the redemption of the land, it was some money. We don't know how much it was. The redemption for you, it was Jesus' blood. 
and we see is that you were actually bought with blood. Notice what we see. Our need, the wage of sin is death, but then look at his provision. Here's the Lord's provision for you. Knowing that you were ransomed, that's redeemed, bought back from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's your redemption price. Your redemption price is the blood of Jesus. It wasn't a certain amount for a piece of land. It was the Son of God came and suffered and died and poured out his blood for you. And you say, why? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to be in relationship with him. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've went. He knows what you've thought. He knows everything. And yet he loves you and died for you so that you could be redeemed. See, Naomi and Ruth, they're cut off. They have no future because they have no present. But Boaz comes in and gives them a a present and a future and restores their past. That's what Jesus does with us. Those who are cut off from God, those who are not the people of God anymore, we get life with God through the redemption of Jesus Christ. And then the people there all shout this blessing. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate of the elders said, we are witnesses this day. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to you like Rachel and Leah who built up the house of Israel. Two ladies built up the house of Israel. I'm gonna see that that Ruth and Boaz. They're gonna have a son who's not gonna build up the house but redeem the house. May you act worthy in Ephrathah and renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez who was from Tamar bore bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you by this young woman. Perez is one of the rulers in Judah. This offspring is not just gonna be a ruler. He's gonna have the ruler who's David, who's ultimately King Jesus, who we're going to see next week because next week when we come back, we're going to see there's a wedding and there is a baby. And that baby is born in Bethlehem. And what we're going to connect it to is there is another baby born in Bethlehem whose name is Jesus who leads us to a wedding with him. And that is the good news of the gospel. So I encourage you to come back, invite your friends next week as we celebrate this baby born in Bethlehem. But here's my question as we close. And you're like, bro, there's 10 minutes. Yeah, we got time to respond. So I'm actually going to ask the band to come back out. And we're going to play two songs of response. And here's the questions that I have for you. Has Jesus redeemed you? Have you experienced the redemption of Jesus Christ? Have you came to him with all of your sin and all of your mess as a needy, broken sinner and said, Jesus, I have a debt I cannot pay, and you let him pay with his blood. That's why he came. That's what he did. He's your next of kin who is able and also willing to redeem you. Oh, how do I get redeemed? You say yes to Christ. You say yes to the gospel, that he lived the life you couldn't. He died the death that you deserve. So that if you put your faith and trust in him, you can have life. That's redemption. He buys you back. How does he buy me back? With his blood. That's what you trust in coming to Jesus. You believe that his death, burial, and resurrection is enough to buy you out of your sin. 
and to give you more righteousness than you could ever live in and gives you a relationship with God and inheritance in a kingdom that is coming forevermore. That's redemption. So the question is, have you been redeemed? What we're going to do during this first song is just sit and think and pray and process. In the second song, we are going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to worship. I'm going to invite, if you're one of our normal um, counselors, if you would during the song just come up and just stand so that people might want to come and talk to you. Um, we've got lady counselors and men counselors who would love to just to stand. Um, if nobody comes as a counselor and you think, I could probably do that, then just come and stand and somebody will be able to come and talk to you. But if you want to talk about Jesus... Please come. You have plenty of time to respond. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And I pray right now, if anyone doesn't know you, they would come to know you now. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.